Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Dr. Yiming Cheng about his work on non-face emojis and digital customer experiences. So welcome everyone to the second podcast of uh, the third season of the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Today I am uh, very happy to have a special guest. His name is Yimin Cheng. He's a senior lecturer in marketing at Monash University in Melbourne, where he has been working in quite some interesting research, I would say, that he's going to tell us about more in a moment. But today we're going to talk specifically about emojis. Um, but let's wait. He will tell you more about the, the, the research that he's doing. He got his PhD from marketing uh, at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. And since then, he has had some very nice publications in some of the top marketing journals. So uh, based on, on, on his research and, and everything, we're going to be talking about uh, some of these things that he's been doing. So welcome you into the podcast. It's very nice to have you here. Um, maybe introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us more about what you're doing and, and who are you? Uh, thank you very much, Carlos, for inviting me. And hello, everyone. Um, I think Carlos already covered much about my background, so I will make it short. Um, so I'm a senior lecturer in marketing uh, at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Um, before coming to Australia, I studied my PhD degree from um, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. And at Monash University, I mainly do research in consumer, uh, consumer behavior. Uh, at the same time, I also teach marketing and consumer behavior to master's level students. Um, other than that, I am also one of the editorial board members of the Journal of Business Research, which is a pretty well-known journal in the business area. And um, I've also held visiting positions at HKST, uh, Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, and also previously at the Wharton School. That is very nice. And, and actually, uh, to all our listeners, we are currently at Nanjian Technological University, both of us visiting. We connected and we have been discussing a little bit in the past days, and we are very happy to share with you today's podcast. So, Yimin, why don't you tell us perhaps a bit more specifically about your research? What are some exciting projects that you're working on now? All right. Um, so as a consumer behavior researcher, uh, I care about how consumers make judgment and decision-making, and what are the factors that influence their decisions. And um, broadly speaking, I'm interested in many areas within consumer behavior, but some of my previous research uh, focuses on consumer beliefs, emotions, and identities. Uh, I can give you a few examples. Please. Yeah. And so, for example, uh, uh, we published a paper in the Journal of Consumer Research about human emotions. So basically we find that, you know, large Duchenne smile can signal intrinsic motivation. So what do I mean by that? So imagine if you go on the website to look for a product or service, and on the website, you see some customer endorsement, that are written endorsement, but it also comes with a photo of the customer endorser's face. Mm -hmm. And in the experiment, we were able to manipulate uh, the face to display either a neutral expression, a small smile, a large non smile, 
or a large Duchenne smell. Um, so what does it mean by Duchenne smell? So Duchenne smell is also called like genuine or authentic smell. So it is when people not only lift the corners of their lips, but also contract the corners of their eyes. That is correct me if I wrong, but that's the orbicularis oculi muscle, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people know that, so yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Uh, so basically, previous research shows that uh, if people are sincerely happy, they tend to display this kind of Duchenne smell. But basically, the research stops there. And what we found is that actually the observers, when they see someone doing something and at the same time displaying a Duchenne smell, they tend to infer, so they are doing this kind of reverse engineering. So they use uh, the actors smiling to infer this person is actually doing this thing out of intrinsic motivation. Mm. So if I see that photo of a customer endorser um, providing the endorsement for a service and displaying a large Duchenne smell, I would infer that this person provided the endorsement out of intrinsic rather than extrinsic motivation. Mm. As a result, I trust the endorser more and I'm more likely to adopt this product service. That is super interesting. So you would say in a way that, you know, <clears throat> authentic, genuine, emotional expressions in different touch points throughout the customer journey are important to convey a yeah, authentic, genuine sort of like message, right? Absolutely. So even though these days people rely on a lot of verbal informations, how I work, you know, um, it, I think it's human nature because, you know, research has shown that uh, even among the primates, um, monkeys, you know, they can already detect each other facial expressions. And that is kind of hardwired in our genes for people to read each other's emotions. And sometimes when, you know, people can cheat and lie by uh, their verbal information, but it's very hard to um, lie by their facial expressions. Yeah, yeah that, that, that makes uh, absolute sense. Uh, and and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the power of emotions, right, which are quite important. This is something that Anders and I have been discussing. We had actually a podcast on, on just emotions mm -hmm. from a slightly different perspective. And in a way, the message that you're getting across summarizes a little bit that is like emotions are quite important in driving our behavior. You know, we are hardwired to perceive emotions, to react to emotions and to have expressions of emotion, I guess. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's something that I did before. <clears throat> and another a research we recently published in the Journal of Business Ethics, um, we look at uh, LGBT inclusive movies. Um, so I also like that research very much because it's a very trendy topic. Mm -hmm. So we have basically observed a pattern that is in recent years, more and more movies start to include some LGBT characters or LGBT storylines. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they are not necessarily the focus of the movie. So sometimes you feel like even though that part, if you remove that part, the movie itself is still complete. Then it becomes interesting to us. So then why did the producers decide to include this part? Mm -hmm. Is that because there are some benefits behind it? Um, so, um, you could argue from a different perspective, which is, you know, a lot of movies could have included LGBT, you know, um, representation, but probably they decided not to do so because there's a, fe a fear or backlash. Mm. So as you can see, there are different predictions 
floating around, and no one really knows whether including LGBT representation in the movies helps, hurts, or has no effect. So no research whatsoever about it? No research until wow. our okay. research. <clears throat> nice. Uh, so basically, my co-authors, uh, Xiao Yuzhou, uh, Kai Yao, and me, decided to study it by ourselves. And so we basically collected the data uh, from the U.S. market uh, over eight years. So we basically have 4,000 plus movies. Mm. And we classify these movies into three categories. There are non-LGBT movies. Mm-hmm. There are LGBT themed movies, which basically the movie focuses on LGBT people and their lives. And That's a also... key, key part of the story. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. And the third type of movie is LGBT inclusive movies. So the movie has LGBT characters or storylines, but it's not the, the main thing of the movie. So we call them LGBT inclusive movies. Mm-hmm. So we also obtain the box office revenue of the movies, and we quote many other contributing factors. Previous literature shows that contribute to movies' performance. Mm-hmm. And we uh, run the model and um, what we found is that the LGBT inclusive movies outperform the other two types of movies mm-hmm. in terms of box office performance, even after controlling for many other contributing factors. And the same result is replicated with lab experiments. So that's basically our findings. That is super interesting. How do you explain them? Um, so <clears throat> we were not um, able to explain it with this um, secondary data, but we were able to obtain some evidence to explain it from the lab experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the lab experiment, we were able to ask participants to answer certain questions to measure their psychological process. Mm-hmm. So what we found is that you can basically divide all the customers into two groups, two segments. One segment has more favorable LGBT attitude, the other has less favorable attitude. And basically, LGBT inclusive movies performs the best because it appeals to both segments. Mm-hmm. And the other two type of movies, they appeal to one, but not the other. Um, yeah, yes. so, I mean, the funding is interesting. Uh, and because at this stage, the vast majority of the, all the movies are still non-LGBT movies. So. I think our findings basically uh, encourages um, the movie industry to, prom- to add more LGBT representations mm-hmm. in it. Uh, as to whether they should add LGBT-themed uh, representation, we found something very interesting. So, um, um, as I told you, we have eight years of data. And when we split the data in the middle, um, the Basically, the, the time in the middle correspond with some major events about LGBT rights, mm-hmm. such as the abolishment of uh, the DOMA. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, I think around that time, President uh, um, Obama also supports, um, like officially supports uh, same-sex marriage, those kind of things. And what we found is that before that time, so the first for the first four years, um, LGBT inclusive movies perform equally well as non-LGBT movies, and LGBT themed movies perform worse than non-LGBT movies. 
However, in the before, before. Yeah. however, after that, in the, the recent four years, LGBT inclusive movie significantly performed better than non-LGBT movie, and LGBT themed movie performs equally as well as non-LGBT movie. So both type of LGBT movies are received much better over the time. So you would say that maybe there was some social desirability effects before these changes or something like that? Or um, yeah, I think the answers, I guess, of people are... Yes, yeah. I, I think that's the case. Because when we look at the box office performance, basically that's people um, voting with their fees. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and whether they want to see a movie with LGBT representation is a reflection of their um, constantly evolving attitude towards LGBT. LGBT and their attitude are influenced by mm, some of the major events. Mm -hmm. Well, there are many things to like <clears throat> about that research, you know, like the, the, the way in which you capture sort of like a social transformation in a way indirectly through your data and at the same time how you can actually, you know, get a sense of, of the way that customers are thinking, you know, and can consumers in general and that gives you an idea of what sort of things, you know, will be better in that specific market. So that's very, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So let's let's move to the next <clears throat> question, and this one starts diving a little bit deeper into today's uh, podcast, which is emojis. And and I kind of like to make the, the link, you know, because in, in, in some of your recent research, uh, you're you're dealing with non-face emojis, but on the other hand, you have uh, your research on emotions. So I imagine yeah. that emotions and face emojis would also be like a like an interesting uh, or is an interesting, you know, probably a thing in, in the literature, <clears throat> but. Let's start with the, 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 the first question. What, how and why did you become interested in, in emoji research? And what is the story behind yeah, it? Yeah. So as you can see, I have done some research on facial expressions and emotions. So broadly speaking, I'm quite interested in studying nonverbal communication. And emotions, facial expressions belongs to that part. When it comes to digital marketing, what is the nonverbal communication? Or the first thing that pops up in my mind is emojis, right? Yeah. Because it's picture, they are not text. Mm -hmm. So that's why I got interested in emoji research. And this particular project we recently published is, a, is on non-face emoji. Mm -hmm. And so when, when we look at the literature together with my co-authors, we found that there has been some research on emojis within the marketing literatures already but they all focused on face emojis. Yeah. Um, people use face <laughs> emojis a lot, right? We use smileys, we use the laughing face with tears. Mm -hmm. Those are face emojis. But many other emojis are non-face emojis. Actually, uh, non-face emojis that depicts an object, uh, um, activity, or a concept, they account for 90% of all emojis. Wow. Yeah. That's quite so, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of uses frequency, actually, if someone uses emoji, 50% of the time, they are using non-face emoji. So as you can see, non-face emoji is really prominent, but it has been ignored in the marketing literature. 
I have to say that when I read the article uh, and some of the research around the article, I was quite surprised because I'm one of those persons that basically uses mostly non-face emojis. You know, I typically use rockets and stars and (laughs) UFOs and stuff like that. But then the question that I started wondering that got me your your, your research and your research got me interested in is like, why? You know, why would I use it? Why would people use it? In what context they would use it? When would they be effective for a specific communication and stuff like that. But before we dive into into the, the article itself, uh, and I guess you have pointed already a little bit about uh, in, in this in the answer uh, to the answer of this question, but what what do you would you say is the relevance of emojis in digital marketing specifically, I guess because although we see some examples now of you know emojis being used in offline marketing as well, which is quite interesting, but let's say we mostly use it in digital marketing. And, and and perhaps to customer experiences. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good question. I think um, emojis are particularly relevant to digital marketing, uh, perhaps for at least two reasons. Uh, first of all, we know that um, there's a trend that um, on the internet people are more into pictures than text. Right. So the the, the fall of Facebook and the rise of Instagram and TikTok is a very good example of that. And emoji is picture. And that's why it gains a lot of popularities these days. Um, people pay a lot of attention to emojis and they also tend to use it a lot in their online communications. So that's one of the reasons I think why it's very, very relevant to digital marketing. Another reason is probably uh, related to um, the demographic change. Um, in the online communication. So we know that uh, previously, I mean, the marketing communication was done in a pretty much top-down fashion, right? So some of the major brands, they create marketing campaigns and they distribute it through uh, the traditional mass media. But these days you see a lot of uh, uh, individual smaller entrepreneurs or even customers themselves creating contents on the internet. And they also prefer to use social media to do their digital marketing. Which is quite interesting. Like, I guess something that comes to mind is like these TikTok trends, right? Uh, that yes. they kind of like create them and then it just becomes like this viral thing that companies capitalize on or they create themselves, I guess. Exactly. And <clears throat> many of these creators are young. They belong to the younger generation and they are used to using emojis because it's kind of a casual way of communication compared to a formal way. So both the platform for digital marketing becomes more casual. You see more and more a social media platform being used for digital marketing. And also the people who communicate because they are younger, they also tend to commun- communicate in a more casual way. And naturally, emoji is used a lot because it's a parallel language. It's not really a formal language. And there is still a dispute about whether it should be considered as a language. But what we can all agree is that it is relatively more informal. Um, I, I think that's that's the reason why uh, emoji these days are very relevant to, to digital marketing. Yeah, that makes uh, absolute sense. Um, now let's get into into the the, the paper that you uh, recently published. So this is a paper that is entitled "Non-Face Emojis in Digital Marketing: Effects, Contingencies, and Strategic Recommendations," and it was published uh, this year in the Journal of uh, the Academy of Marketing Science. 
So again, you know, what we talked about and you already introduced is this basically focuses on non-face emojis. But so what was this uh, study about? What did you find? What are some of the recommendations? Right. Um, well, I, I first have to acknowledge my uh, co-authors, uh, Davidi Orazi and Bumicha Ranjan. So all of us work at Manchester University. So we work on this project together. And uh, as I said earlier, when we look at the literature, most of research focuses on face emoji. Um, but we use non-face emoji quite a lot. So we still have some unresolved questions in our mind. For example, compared to using only text, does using non-face emoji um, increase customer engagement? And um, should people use non-face emoji to decorate the sentence? Or to replace some of the words. So actually we discovered that non-face emojis can be used for two linguistic functions. You can either just add an emoji uh, to a complete sentence. I can give you an example. You can, so for example, Carlos, if I message you and ask you out for a beer, I can text beer tonight, question mark. Uh, and then right? just have the beer instead of the, yes. the word beer, let's say. Yeah, yeah, if you replace the English word with the beer emoji and that's one uh, function linguistic function we call it substitutive emoji however you can also just write beer tonight question mark and add an emoji at the end so that we call it complementary emoji so the non-face emojis can be used in one of these two ways and this is something unique to non-face emoji usually for face emoji because it doesn't have very rich semantic information Usually, people don't use it to replace it. Usually, mm -hmm. it's decorated. Um, so, then should people um, use complementary emoji or substitute emoji? No one has answered that question. And how many is too many, right? Mm -hmm. So, shall we use a lot or just a little? And um, that's the matter who sends the information, right? So, um, we have all these questions in our mind. So, we, de we decided to study it ourselves. Um, so uh, the data we collected uh, is in the context of Airbnb. So um, basically, we uh, chose Airbnb because um, imagine if you look for a place to stay, you go to Airbnb. When you search, the first thing that comes out of the search result is usually the property listing title. So that is usually a single sentence providing a very brief description of the property. Mm -hmm. So you may find like a sunny apartment in the heart of New York City, something mm -hmm. like that. And you can imagine that it, it may come all in text or sometimes the senders may add some emojis to the listing title. Mm -hmm. So this is a very rich data. Uh, in this data, we can measure the variables we are interested in, such as whether a non-face emoji was used, how many of them were used, mm -hmm. whether it was used in terms of the complementary function or the substituted function, and also who sent the emoji. Because the Airbnb website also allowed us to classify the, um, the sellers as either a regular seller or a premium seller. Mm -hmm. So premium sellers, we measure it by the super host badge, right? So if someone is doing very well, mm -hmm. Airbnb 
gives them a superhost batch. So we use that as a classification. Mm -hmm. So with this very rich data, we were able to run some advanced modeling. And our data is pretty big. We basically have a little bit under 200,000 unique properties listed uh, in one of the four major cities in the US over 26 months. Mm -hmm. And the observation ends right before the pandemic kicks in. So that's our data mm -hmm. set. And 200,000 unique properties. Excellent. And yeah. because it's a longitudinal data, mm -hmm. we track each property over 26 months. Yeah. So actually the, the total number of observation per month, sorry, um, so total number of observation is up to 2 million. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then um, this is what we find. So we find that compared to not using emoji at all, compared to text only, adding non-face emoji increases online engagement. Okay, so... Um, this is, sorry, this is relative to no emoji. Yes, oh. yes. Imagine uh, it's text only without emoji. Um, and if you add an emoji, it increases the online engagement. So the way we measure online engagement is by measuring the number of reviews mm -hmm. uh, each you know, list property attracts. Mm -hmm. um, this is based on the assumption that if um, uh, online communication, a uh, digital communication is engaging enough, the customers will feel positive about experience and then they're more likely to write a review. Mm -hmm. um, so this engagement, we measure it as the E word of mouth. So E word of mouth is the outcome we look at. So as I said, we find the basic effect using non-face emoji is better than not using it. But we also find some nuances. So when you look at the different linguistic functions, we find that um, which one is more effective depends on how many times you use it. Mm -hmm. So if you only use one non-face emoji, it doesn't matter uh, if it's complementary or uh, substitutive. Both are effective. Mm -hmm. However, if you use two or more emojis, actually using two or more substitutive emojis decreases processing fluency and it decreases the customer engagement. Hmm. Think about it. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. How do you explain it? Is it because it requires some decoding or, I don't know? Yeah, uh, you have the right uh, intuition. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, according to the multimodal uh, communication literature, mm -hmm. um, sometimes when we process the information, the information may be represented in different modalities. So the text will be a verbal uh, representation of some concept and the pictures will be a visual representation of certain concepts. Mm -hmm. And emojis are the, the visual ones, and the text are the verbal ones. Mm -hmm. So if we replace a lot of text with emojis, then when we process the whole sentence, we have to convert these emojis back to their phonetic counterpart in order mm -hmm. to complete the whole sentence. So that's something okay. called sub-vocalization. So you need to vocalize those emoji in your mind, right? If you yeah. see a sun emoji, you have to think about sunny. This is this means sunny apartment. Mm. If you see a heart in the heart of New York City, if when you see a heart emoji, you have to vocalize heart in your mind. And mm. the whole process of converting visual information to verbal information consumes our cognitive resources. 
and decreases processing fluency. So if you only do it once, it's okay. But when you do it many times, it's too much. Got it. Yeah, that is super interesting because I also imagine that, you know, when I say in the heart of New York, you know, heart as a verbal category is, you know, like ample enough to include multiple representations of heart in my mind. Whereas if I have the visual representation is one, and then I have to reverse engineer it, let's say, you know, what you're saying, basically to decode it and doing it twice or more, it just require more resources. Exactly. So processing fluency is the key here, you said. Exactly. Um... I mean, again, in the secondary data, we were not able to test that directly. However, we um, conducted three other experiments. So mm -hmm. in the experiment, we were able to measure the processing fluency, and we show that it mediates the result. Mm -hmm. So that provides the evidence for the underlying mechanism. Okay, I understand. I have a question. So this, this of course, you know, this study was done in the context of Airbnb. And it was done in the U.S. I guess you know, like this is probably a typical question, but given the the, the multicultural and and say multi industry background of some of our listeners, how do you think this would play out? This would play out in other countries, cultures, and industries. That's a very good question, Carlos. Um, I unfortunately don't have the answer to Data, that. Yeah. You know, as a researcher, uh -huh. um, I can only answer this when we run a further analysis with mm. data from a different culture or a different country. Um, um, I would imagine that uh, in certain uh, countries, if people are very into using emojis in their daily communications, mm -hmm. so what I know is that you know the Japanese society, they That's use a lot exactly of emojis. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> right? So if they use emojis very, very frequently, mm -hmm. maybe the conversion is not that cognitively texting for them. Mm -hmm. So maybe the effect will be different. Mm -hmm. But this is a hypothesis that we need for yeah. the research. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. I think it's uh, it's it's exactly what I was looking for. So, so that's uh, that's a good one. Um, there is something that I think you're implying with everything that you're saying, you know. But I want you to try to boil it down to a couple of points, which is how are these findings relevant for companies? Right. Um, so our findings are relevant to whoever wants to use emojis in their uh, digital communication. Of course, it's most relevant to Airbnb uh, users. Uh, that's where we got our data. Um, but generally speaking, if you are an entrepreneur, you, if you are a small business owner, you want to promote your product or service online, when you use emojis, we have the following recommendations based on our findings. Mm -hmm. um, well, first, you know, we recommend people to use non-face emojis rather than not using it at all because we find it to be very attention-grabbing and it can increase your customer engagement. Mm -hmm. However, um, people should be aware of how to use it and how many to use it. So our recommendation is that if you are just a regular seller, uh, you should um, use, you can use one, um, complimentary emoji and according to our data actually on Airbnb if you add one complimentary emoji it increases the e-water most by 26% compared to not using it at all 26% 26% an important percentage I would say yeah. mm -hmm. and remember this is complimentary emoji mm -hmm. right so um, it only decorates the sentence mm -hmm. and if you 
add two or more complementary emojis, it increases the E word of mouth by 35%. 35% overall. Right. That's, yeah. So as long as it's complementary emoji, you can use a lot. Mm-hmm. However, if it's substitutive emojis, using one increases the E word of mouth by 21%. However, using two or more substitutive emojis will decrease the E word of mouth by 27% compared to not using any emoji at, at all. all. So don't uh, use more than two yeah. <laughs> substitutive emojis. Okay. Um, that's I, like a very clear line, you know? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. um, um, so this is based on the Airbnb yeah. data. Mm-hmm. The numbers will uh, definitely change on other platform. But, but I, I mean, I, I still think that it's quite important given the number of, of data points that you have, the number of instances, I mean, properties that you're testing and also the, the, the follow-up in time that you have. So, you know, this is, is quite quite relevant, I think. Yeah, yeah, we believe so. And there's another uh, qualifications I should mention. So remember, in the data, we were also able to classify all the Airbnb uh, sellers into two categories, mm-hmm. the regular host and the super host. Mm-hmm. The super host represents the sellers um, of higher quality or higher status on the mm-hmm. platform. What we find is that if you are a high quality or high status sellers, you shouldn't use two or more emojis, regardless of the linguistic function. Right? So even for complementary emojis, if you are a you know, super host, you shouldn't use more than two. You should only use one. And the reason is because um, if you have a higher status, people expect you to communicate in, in a more professional way. And people expect you to deliver competence. However, emojis are often used by younger generations. It's a very informal way of communication. It doesn't signal professionalism. It signals lower competence. Mm. So if you are a high quality or high status, uh, sellers, our recommendation is just use one complementary emoji. If you use other type of emojis, it's gonna uh, not gonna help you. Basically, that is super interesting, and actually, it starts answering the question that I that I have as a follow up, which is you know, like I guess as researchers, we always find or try to find instances in which things don't apply. Mm-hmm. So my question was. What, is there any instance that you can think where it's not recommended at all to, to use non-face emojis? Uh, and, and I guess with your answer, you're telling me some boundary conditions, right? right? I guess, but is there any context in which you could think that? I mean, I guess it would depend on the data, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, well, so our data shows actually compare, comparing with not using emoji at all, using non-face emoji, has a positive baseline effect. Mm. So our recommendation, at least for Airbnb, is to, to still use, use yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. But, but bear in mind that the purpose of these Airbnb, Airbnb sellers is mainly to stand out from the competition because there are so many sellers there. So attention yeah. is very important to them. Therefore, emojis will be relevant. However, in a totally different context, let's say if you are an executive, and you send emails to your subordinates, um, 
actually some of the previous literature suggests that using emojis will be perceived as um, not competent mm -hmm. and all you know it may be perceived as um, 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 I mean not very convincing etc etc so in a different context maybe not using emoji is recommended Understood. Understood. That's quite. That's quite interesting, and I and I really like the, the the concept of competence here because it might just look like you're just playing, you know, or something like that if you are not using it in the right way. Or I not guess. serious. Or not serious, exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I'm gonna get into speculative space because I know that you know for, there are many many unknowns when we look into the future for research. But one of the things that we have explored in this podcast before is digital transformations. And in the context of digital transformations, we see things like virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, you know, Internet of Things, Web3, like all these different things. So I wonder, as we move towards this space, what, what, how do you see emojis playing in, in them? You know, because now I see that there are certain augmented reality interactions that use emojis. But I mean, of course, this is, again, purely a speculative space. But do you have any thoughts about it? Um, well... Well, I think one thing we need to understand first is that um, emojis were created to um, facilitate the digital communication because naturally the digital communication doesn't have a lot of you know nonverbal information to facilitate the understanding as a face-to-face -face communication. So emojis were actually particularly created to you know fill this gap. And now, well, if the purpose is to um, facilitate nonverbal communication, then any technology that can amplify this nonverbal communication would further increase the effect of emojis. Mm -hmm. So at this stage, many of the emojis are presented in a two-dimensional fashion. But I can imagine that in AR and VR, those emojis will be 3D and they will be dynamic, they will be moving, and that will be more engaging. Um, a few days ago, I saw a news article about Samsung, the company, creating AR emojis. Mm -hmm. They have like 18 AR emojis in their first release, and a lot of people start to use them because they find them very interesting and engaging. And people sometimes can also customize the emojis by taking a photo of their face and then the emojis represent their images even better. Mm. So now when we use the very simple emojis, um, it doesn't represent the details, right? So sometimes, the, uh, for example, the smiley emoji only shows a smiley face, but you wouldn't be able to see some finer details of the facial expression. Mm. But with AR and VR, I can see a lot of potential in that is interesting, and I would imagine that also the boundaries between certain uh, means of digital communication may be blurred a little bit. I'm, I was just thinking that GIFs, for example, and then you think about NFTs, GIFs, and emojis. So, you know, like some potential combinations of these kind of like means of communication in digital environments and their 3D versions, the VR versions in general, would potentially create some other forms of expressing complex messages. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's quite quite interesting to think about the, the the 3D perspective, more detailed, basically. Yeah, absolutely. 
um, I mean, the well, you are expert in AR and VR. <laughs> so um, based on my limited understanding, uh, one of the benefits of using AR and VR is to enhance the experiences by you know, amplifying some of the, the five senses. Right? Um, so uh, I can imagine that in a VR or AR world, um, some of the visual stimuli provided by emoji will be further amplified. People will be more engaged. And also people do a lot of multi multitasking when they use AI, AI and VR. For, for example, uh, sometimes people uh, do fitness exercise mm. wearing AI or VR devices. And when people are doing multitasking, it's probably very difficult for them to send a text message, right? Because they are busy doing other things. Mm-hmm. And then emoji can come in very handy for communication. For communication, that, that yeah. makes absolute sense. Right. Well, this this has been super exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing your research and this very interesting paper. I'm sure that our listeners are very have will be very happy to hear this when when it's live. Um, uh, and by the way, so I will I would like to give. Uh, the listeners a way to connect with you so what, what's the best way to to you know read more about your research to you know maybe send you an email if you have further questions or so yeah um so you can easily uh, google my name Emin Cheng um, at Monash University so you can find my uh, website at Monash University and also my personal websites so I um, um, I will actually. That's a, that's. A, I will make sure that all your details are in the description of the episode. Thank you. Very and much. then anyone, if you're interested, uh, I have uh, gone through his website. Very interesting articles. Some of the ones that he has talked about today. So please go and check. And uh, his contact details are also there. Exactly. Uh, I will also post the reference to your article in the description, so that if any of you would like to read it, then you have access there to to it as well. Yes, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, you, you can um, feel free to send me an email and ask me questions. I'll be very happy to respond. Excellent. So last but not least, before we leave, I have one question. And is uh, this is more like, uh, let's say, a, a personal slash research slash professional question, which is many of the, the, the people that are listening to us are either students that are, you know, completing their bachelor's, their master's, uh, executive programs or some people in companies. So based on your research and your general experience, you know, in, in the academic world, what, what advice would you give them now or advices? Um, well, for this particular research, actually, um, you know, if you, you are an online communicator, no matter you are just creating your content or you're actually selling some product or service, you can use emoji. And actually, our research also informs the platform. Um, for example, we know on Airbnb, they have a content policy that actually says that using emojis in the listing uh, is a content violation, even though they don't actually enforce it. They say it's online oh. violation. But what we found is that actually using emoji in most of the cases helps. And think about the Airbnb. They uh, they charge uh, service fees for each uh, stay, each sale. So if using emoji can increase sales of all these online uh, sellers, that's also a good thing for Airbnb, right? So as you can see, a lot of real-world 
business practices are suboptimal. Uh, our findings suggest that they can change their current practice or change their policy to get a better business outcome. Mm. In, in general, for students or business practitioners, I, I would just encourage them to, to read more mm -hmm. um, because as a, a researcher, it takes me quite a long time to generate my research findings. Mm. Uh, so I can make some contributions to the to the business knowledge, but there are also, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of other researchers who each contribute a little bit to this business knowledge. So I would encourage um, uh, people who are interested in business practice to read some of the insights from the researchers. Um, and in the academia, we have a new trend that is we try to communicate better with the industry by making our findings more relevant and easy to, to digest. So uh, as what you are doing now, you are That's creating what podcasts. I was say, like, this is excellent because I hope that with this podcast, we're basically doing exactly right that, just that. So, exactly. Yeah. So please listen to Carlos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, this has been excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, everyone, please go and check his website. And if you have any questions, get in touch. And yeah, thank you very much for, for being in the podcast. It's my pleasure.